Good morning and welcome. Our scripture this morning is taken from Nehemiah, the eighth chapter. I'll be reading verses 5 through 12, so hear with me the words of the Lord. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. But then he said to them, Go your way, and eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and to drink and to send portions and to, to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Author and pastor John Ortberg tells a story about a man in his church named Hank. Hank was a, a very joyless person. He had a certain knack for discovering uh, bad news. He was always the one to, to find a cloud where other people saw a silver lining. Hank very rarely complimented or affirmed anyone. He operated on the assumption that if you complimented someone, it might lead to a swelled head. So he worked to make sure that everyone stayed humble especially the church staff. His ministry was to downsize other people. Well, one day a, a deacon came up to Hank and asked him, well, Hank, are, are you happy? Well, Hank paused to reflect for a moment, and then he replied without smiling, yes, I'm happy. The deacon said, well, why don't you tell your face well, as far as anybody knows, Hank's face never did find out. And Ortberg goes on to say that Hank's joylessness produced a lot of sadness, not only in his life, but in the, the life of other people. He couldn't effectively love his family, love his wife, love his children. He couldn't love people outside his family. He was unable to love the people at church. He was easily irritated. He had little use for others, especially those whose opinions differed from his own. Whatever capacity that Hank had for joy, it got smaller and smaller and smaller every year as he complained, as he criticized, as he judged others. Hank was a joyless person, and he lived a joyless existence. Well, all of us here probably know of someone like Hank who is joy-challenged. 
unfortunately, my experience has been uh, that most churches have at least one Hank, if not more, people who see it as their responsibility to complain and to criticize and to judge. I even had one occasion, and my first pastor, it was someone told me that they didn't get close to the pastor because they wanted to feel free to criticize them. And they did for uh, most of the next decade. Uh, this is someone who had no joy in their lives. I would go and visit them, and it would take me two weeks to get over it. Lewis Smedes once wrote, To miss out on joy is to miss out on the reason for your existence. To miss out on joy is to miss out on the reason for our existence. C.S. Lewis, the great Christian apologist, said, Joy is the serious business of heaven. Joy is the serious business of heaven. And then, of course, the Apostle Paul once wrote, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. I think we would probably all agree that if there's anything that we need more in this world today, that it's joy. Anxiety, depression are rampant in our society. Uh, depression is generally as prevalent inside the church as it is outside of the church. But as Christians, as followers of Jesus, our lives should reflect the joy of our faith. You know, the Bible puts joy in a non-optional category. That is, joy is a command we're told to be joyful. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit that we're to nurture in our lives. So joyfulness is a learned skill. We can become joyful people with God's help. But here's the challenge. Is it possible for the church to witness to others about the power of Christ in our lives if we have not experienced a transformation in our own lives that has led to a joyful and abundant living. That's the challenge. Well, in our scripture lesson for today, Nehemiah has returned to his beloved city of Jerusalem to rebuild its walls, which had been destroyed by the uh, Babylonians years before. The work on the wall has now been completed and an organizational structure has been put in place and, and Jerusalem is now this well-ordered, well-defended, well-governed city. But there's still something that is missing. Nehemiah knew that it was not enough simply to have a city that was beautiful, a city that was well-protected, a city that was well-oiled organizationally. In order for Jerusalem to survive as a city and for the Jews to survive as a people, there had to be something inside of them happening spiritually. And sensing this need among the people, Nehemiah organizes this gathering of people of Jerusalem and he utilizes the skills of Ezra, a priest and a scribe, whose knowledge of Scripture and his God-given wisdom were, were known and were obvious uh, to everyone. And so the people are gathered in this city square in Jerusalem, and Ezra is asked to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which God had given to Israel, and, and he read it. He read it aloud from early morning to midday. 
And Nehemiah reports that when Ezra would praise God, the people would cry out, Amen, Amen, so be it. And they would lift up their hands and then they would bow down and they would worship the Lord with their, their faces to the ground. The people were moved, so moved, that many of them began to weep and to mourn. And Nehemiah and Ezra got up and said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not weep, do not mourn. Go and eat choice foods and sweet drinks and send portions to them who have nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved. The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And that's what the people did. They, they went away. They celebrated what God had done in their midst because they understood the words which had been made known to them. The joy of the Lord is our strength. You know, I think it's important to point out that the Bible speaks not just about the need for joy in general, but in a particular kind of joy that characterizes God. It's the joy of the Lord that we are seeking. And we will not understand what it means to have joy until we understand this about God. Joy is God's basic character. Joy is God's basic character. God's intent when he created the world was for his creation to mirror his joy. Now, can you imagine if God was not a joyful being? If God was not a joyful being, what, what would the opening lines of the book of Genesis uh, read like? Let me just share some possibilities. In the beginning, it was nine o'clock, and so God had to go to work. He filled out a requisition form to separate light from darkness. He considered making the stars to beautify the night and planets to, to fill the skies, but he thought that sounded like too much work. And besides, thought God, that's not my job. So he decided to knock off early and call it a day, and he looked at what he had done, and he said, and he said it'll just have to do and then on the second day, God separated the waters from the dry land, and he made all the land flat. And behold, the whole earth looked like Nebraska. And he thought about making mountains and valleys and glaciers and jungles and forests, but he decided it just wouldn't be worth the effort. And God looked at what he had done that day, and he said, it'll just have to to do. And God made a pigeon to fly in the air, and he made a carp to swim in the waters, and he made a cat to creep upon the dry land. And God thought about making millions of other species of other si all sizes and shapes and colors, but he, he just couldn't drum up any enthusiasm for any other animals. In fact, truth be told, he really wasn't too crazy about that cat to begin with. Besides, it was almost time for the late show. So God looked at all he'd done. He said, it'll have to do. And at the end of the week, God was seriously burned out. He breathed a big sigh of relief and he said, thank me, it's Friday. Now, 
we recognize that Genesis looks nothing like that. But instead, God creates again and again and again, and you have this sense that he finds joy in his work. And at the end of the day, he has completed his work, and he pronounces it as very good as products of God's creation, as creatures that are made in his image. We are to reflect God's joy in our lives. But sadly, as we know, that's not always the case, is it? So how do we reflect joy? How do we pursue joy in our lives? Well, I think the first step is that we begin today. We begin right now. What did the psalmist say? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, he doesn't say yesterday was God's day, nor does he say tomorrow is going to be a great day. He says this day, this day with everything that's going on, even with all of its shortcomings, all of its temptations, all of its trials, and anything else that's thrown at us, it is a day for us to rejoice. Now, we all live with these illusions that joy will come someday when our conditions change. We go to school. We think that we'll be happy when we graduate. I hope you will be, by the way. Uh, we're single, and we're convinced we'll be happy when we get married. We get married, we decide we'll be happy when we have children. We have children, we decide we'll be happy when they grow up and they leave home. And then they do. And then we think we were happier than when they were still at home. But the psalmist says, this is God's day. It's the day God made, and we're to rejoice in it. But this raises a very serious question, I think. How can we embrace joy amid all the pain and all the suffering in the world? Well, it is precisely here that I think we make one of the most surprising discoveries. Often, it's the people who are closest to suffering who have the most powerful joy. You know, true joy, the kind of joy that the Bible speaks of, comes only to those who have devoted themselves to something greater than their own personal happiness. So when pain and suffering comes, and it does, they're able to exude a joy that comes when, only when someone has realized the joy of the Lord in their lives. And that is exactly why James, in his epistle, wrote, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Consider it all joy. Now, this is not intended to diminish the difficult circumstances that people find themselves in, and we all do, but to underline the fact that if we wait for all the conditions to be perfect in order to rejoice, we will still be waiting when we die. Now, all of us here know people who have endured a great deal of difficulty in their lives, but still are joyous people. In the first church I pastored, there was a woman named Arlene Wood who had muscular dystrophy. She was in bed almost the entire time I was her pastor. 
But she was the most joyous person I think I've known. And when I went to visit her, she always uplifted me. What can I do for you? What can I do for you? This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. So I believe a second thing we can do to nurture joy in our lives is to rub elbows with joyous people like Arlene Wood. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm around certain people, they just make me feel good. They breathe life into me, and we should prize their company and thank them, and above all, get intentional about being with them. This is important because there are other people in our lives who have rejected joy. They've decided they don't want to be joyful. They complain, they gripe, they focus on the negative. They're like these black holes in outer space, and they, they just suck the joy right out of you. You know, I once heard a story about a farmer who had a neighbor who was negative about everything, just found fault in everything. The farmer wanted to impress this man, so he bought a world-class hunting dog. And he trained it thoroughly for months, and then he invited his joyless friend to go duck hunting with him. Not long after they got to the duck blind, which was in a field flooded with water, the farmer shot a duck. And up on command, the dog trotted out. He walked on the surface of the water, retrieved the bird, returned it, dropped it at the feet of the farmer, the farmer asked his neighbor, well, what do you think about that? And his neighbor responded, your dog can't swim, can it? You know, in one of my former churches, we'd been worshiping the Lord God Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one in which we live and move and have our being. And somebody walks out the door and tells me, you know, there's a light bulb out in one of the chandeliers. You're the administrator of the church. You need to do something about it. Huh. Some people are serial complainers. They complain, they grumble about everything. You know, there's a little story about a young man who entered a strict monastery and he took a vow of silence. Uh, on the first day that he was at the monastery, the abbot calls him in. He says, you will be able to speak only two words every five years. Do you understand? Well, the young man nods and he goes away to his cell Five years later, the abbot calls him into his office and says, Brother, you have done well after five years. What, what do you have to say? And the monk says, Food cold. Five years later, the monk returns to the abbot. The abbot says, Welcome, brother. What would you like to tell me after ten years? And the monk says, Bed hard. Another five, year pass, five years pass, and the two meet, and the abbot says, well, brother, you've been here 15 years. What two words would you like to say? He said, I'm leaving. And the abbot says, well, I'm not surprised. You've done nothing but complain since you got here. You know, I'm not sure for all the reasons uh, for it. But, you know, Christians, 
instead of being the most joyful people on earth, have become recognized as being some of the most critical and most judgmental people. There were three religious men who were traveling separately one day. One was a Hindu, one was a Jewish rabbi, and one was a Christian. A big storm blows in, and all three of these holy men, they wind up in the same farmhouse. And the owner of the farm graciously receives them and says that all three can stay there for the night, but there's only one problem. There are just two beds in the house, and one of them will have to stay out in the barn. Well, the Hindu immediately says, well, that's no problem. I'll be glad to go stay in the barn. And so he goes out to the barn. A few minutes later, there's a knock on the door, and it's the Hindu. And he says, well, I can't stay in the barn. Uh, There's a cow out there, and my tradition says that cows are sacred and it wouldn't be appropriate. Uh, So the Jewish rabbi says, well, that's okay. I'll be glad to stay in the barn. So he goes out to the barn, and a few minutes later, there's a knock on the door, and it's the Jewish rabbi, and he says, well, I I can't stay in the barn. There's a pig out there. And my tradition says that pigs are unclean, and it just wouldn't be right for me to stay in the barn. Well, the Christian says, well, that's all right. I'll be glad to stay in the barn. So he goes out to the barn, and a few minutes later, there's a knock on the door, and it's the pig and the cow. (laughs) You know, the sad and unfortunate thing is that Christians have become seen as judgmental and intolerant. No one likes to be around someone who's always finding fault, always criticizing, always complaining. Now, we all have to endure a few joy-destroying people in life, uh, killjoys, we sometimes call them. We need to try to love them as much as we can, as best as we can, but we have to be careful not to be shaped by them. We may have to limit our time with them so as not to become as negative as they are, but above all, be sure you are not one of them. Do you engage in an inordinate amount of complaining, griping, and finding fault with others? As followers of Christ, we need to exude joy, and we need to attach ourselves, and we need to spend regular and significant amounts of time with joy-producing people. Well, a third thing we can do to produce joy in our lives is to learn to laugh. You know, that great late theologian Jimmy Buffett said, if we didn't laugh, we would all go insane. Well, you know, laughter is healthy for us. Proverbs 17.22 says, a cheerful heart is good medicine. In terms of our physical and our emotional well-being, humor has been found to have a healing effect. In the cases of mental illness even, especially depression, humor is believed to be a vital part of the healing process. It helps people to develop a more positive outlook on life. It's been found that humor is effective in producing the hormones that cause the release of endorphins into the brain that foster a sense of relaxation and and well-being. These hormones also enhance the flow of blood in our bodies, which can speed healing and can reduce inflammation and stimulate alertness. 
For cardiovascular and respiratory functions, the effect of laughter is especially significant. Research suggests that laughter might be the most powerful weapon in counteracting heart disease and blood pressure. Laughter is also associated with the will to live. The great Mark Twain once observed that an old man he knew laughed loud and joyously, shook up the details of the anatomy of his anatomy from his head to his foot, and ended by saying that such a laugh was like money in a man's pocket because it cut down the doctor's bills. God wants us to laugh. Comedian Mark Lowry says, what healthy father doesn't love to hear his children laugh? I once overheard my mother tell someone that I love to laugh. I thought it was one of the greatest compliments I'd ever gotten from her. I do, I love to laugh. I love to hear my children laugh and my grandchildren laugh. God wants us to laugh. The late Christian comedian Grady Nutt insisted that a humorless God would not have created ostriches. In fact, you know, Psalm 2 says that God laughed. And what God does must be good for us too. So we need to look for occasions to laugh. You know, it, it loosens up the diaphragm which is in contact with all the other vital organs in our bodies. When we laugh, all our organs are being massaged. It could be that our spirits are getting massaged as well. I don't know where this quote came from, but it says, Laughter is the hand of God on the shoulders of a weary world. Laughter is the hand of God on the shoulders of a weary world. We should be the greatest laughers in the world as Christians. We have the best thing in the world to have joy about. A cheerful heart is good medicine. Well, a fourth thing you might try is setting aside time to devote to specific acts of celebration that infuse you with joy. One day a week, just eat the foods you like to eat. Listen to music that moves you. Play a sport or a game that you enjoy. Read a book that refreshes your spirit. Wear clothes that make you happy. Surround yourself with beauty. And as you do these things, Give thanks to God for his goodness to you. Reflect on what a gracious God he is to even have thought of these gifts. Take time to experience and savor those moments. Direct your heart to God, towards God, so that you come to know him as the giver of every good and perfect gift. And turn off your television set. Media is primarily responsible for much of the negativity and cynicism that exists in our society. Not all of it, but much of what we watch on televisions and on our computers simply robs us of our joy by virtually littering our minds with negativity. Let me ask you this. How many of you have ever watched television for several hours during the evening and then you got up the next morning and you said, boy, 
I feel rejuvenated. I feel refreshed. I feel revitalized. I feel renewed. What a tremendous, what a memorable evening that was. I am so grateful for my television. I don't know that any of us would give that testimony. So, finally, how do you pursue joy? View events and circumstances in your lives in light of the resurrection of Jesus and the ultimate triumph of the risen Christ. Look at life from the perspective of the kingdom of God and the promises that he's made to us concerning this life and our eternal destiny with him. Joy shows one's faith in God. For followers of Jesus, a joyful outlook on life shows people that we believe in the resurrection. We believe in the power of life over death. We believe in the power of love over hatred. For believers, joy shows our trust in God who will ultimately make all things well. Joy reveals faith. You know, Jesus once told his disciples, I've said these things to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. You know, after the walls of Jerusalem were completed, Nehemiah calls for a time of dedication, a time to celebrate the completion of this great task that God had called them to undertake. It was an unforgettable day. In Jerusalem, and the scripture tells us that they celebrated with cymbals and harps and lyres and, and singing, and the, the celebration was it was so great that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. Think about that. Wouldn't it be great if one of these days it was said that the joy of church on Main in Blacksburg, Virginia was heard from afar. What better witness could we have? Now, I don't know what heaven will be like, but I can't imagine that it's not a place of endless joy and laughter. And if that's the case, why not allow ourselves a little heaven on earth? Couldn't a little of earthly joy be a way of preparing for an eternity to be with God who has prepared a place for us of eternal joy. God rejoices over our very existence. He takes delight in us. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for this day, this very day that you've given to us, this day that you have set aside as the Sabbath for us to, to rest and to come together as your people, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we thank you, Lord, for the joy that we have in our relationship with you and Lord, we recognize that things go on in our lives all the time that would rob us of our joy, but that's not your desire, but that even in the midst of our trials and temptations of, of life that you want us to be joyful people. So help us, Lord. Help us to look to you for our, our joy 
And we thank you for Jesus who came and who says that he wants to complete that joy in us. This is our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. If this is your first time to visit or first time in a long time, we hope you'll fill out a connect card. We'd like to connect with you. Hope you want to connect with us. You can take it to the Welcome Center or you can bring it uh, to me. I just want to mention that uh, last Sunday we had our Servanthood Sunday. We appreciate everybody that participated in that. Over 100 people helped us to build 30 beds and package 10,000 food packages, and uh, we collected hundreds of uh, canned goods and other items, and we're continuing to do that uh, the rest of this month and and next month. So I want to make you aware of that, but thank you uh, for being here. Uh, If you're a college student and you're looking for a life group, there's one that meets at uh, 11 o'clock over in what we call the HOP, House on Progress, which is right behind uh, the church here. We can direct you uh, to that. So let's have our benediction. Now may God, who has made the world and filled it with beauty, give us eyes to see the mysteries and the miracles around us and make our hearts rejoice this day and every day in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.